Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Breakfast in the class today is sponsored by Michael Dahan on the occasion of the Hidullah of Rabbi Yisrael Abu Hasel Avashalom, known as the giant in Torah, the Baba Sali. Please say, Be'achot li'ilui nishmato. Um, as well, week of Kobru is dedicated loving memory, Sammy Sayed. Li'ilui nishmat, Shalom Rivka, sponsored by his son Isaac Sayed. Rabotai, our parasha begins with words that we've seen already many times before. Bo el paro. Now, I find that to be fascinating because the same exact sentence was said to Moshe Rabbeinu in the beginning of the story. In Parshat Vayera, if you look carefully, you'll see that God tells Moshe also to come to Paro, right? Same exact expression. But what a difference it makes to hear that sentence at the beginning of the story and at the end of the story, right? Where Moshe Rabbeinu was coming off of a comment. What are you talking about, Boel Paro? Things got worse since I last came to him. You haven't saved the Jewish people. You made it worse. Why'd you even send me? So the first boil paro, God tells Moshe Rabbeinu, you see Moshe is hesitant. Here we are now, after seven of the makot have already uh, transpired, and God tells Moshe, boil paro. Now Moshe is coming into paro like an absolute king. He walks into the room, already they're all shaking. He tells them that Arbea are coming, Paro's like, get out. All, there's a rebellion in the throne room. I, again, I always point this out. When we read over there, where the, where the Avadim say to Paro, Haterem ki Avadam Israim, like, until when is this guy going to be for us, Mokesh holding us back? Haterem Teda, don't you know that Mitzrayim is lost, that we already destroyed? You know what it meant for a, for a servant, for an advisor to speak to a pharaoh like that? They were risking their lives. So how did they dare open their mouths like that? You know what the answer is? They felt they had nothing to lose. Every time Paro says, no, the guy comes back, he decimates the country again. At this stage, they said to him, they were also saying it to themselves. It's what gave them courage to stand up to Paro and say it to him in the first place. So we find a very different Bo El Paro, the same sentence being said to Moshe Rabbeinu, but Moshe's feeling in hearing it is radically different from the beginning until now. And Rabotai, I feel that there's a tremendous message in the fact that God used those same words to speak to Moshe when there was a moment, so to speak, when Moshe was in a moment where he didn't know how God was planning on running this to all the way in the end where he understood very well that God's plan was to bring ten makot and that until that happened, the Jews would not get out, but that ultimately everything was being run exactly according to plan. And that's what Hashem says to Moshe in the beginning of last week's parasha. He says, I appeared to Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. Rashi quotes the Gemara where he said, Chaval, Chaval al-de'avdin, ve'edan mishtakhin. Whoa, shame on the ones that we lost. Shame on the ones that we lost that are never forgotten. Because with Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, they, I did many different things that I promised them that they didn't get to see, and they never asked any questions. God was chastising Moshe on the fact that he had questioned him. Rabotai, there's an amazing concept that we learn, I think, from this idea. In our pasuk, we find a very interesting word. In order that you should tell your children, your children's children, Et asher hit'alalti v'misraim. What does hit'alalti mean? Anyone know? 
Rashi translates the word hit'alati as sichakti. Come on, our Israeli guys should be able to help us out now. What does it mean, sichakti? You played with the Egyptians. What does that mean? Sichakti. Sichakta otanu. Toying. You play, you're making fun of us. Well, you're playing with us. Like some sort of game. Hitalalti means that God played a game with the Egyptians. Tell your children, I played games with the Egyptians. What does that say? What is that communicating? Rabotai, there was a sofer who, uh, who lived here in New York City. Anyway, they were building a synagogue at the time. And uh, a rabbi, the rabbi of the synagogue calls the man in, the sofer in, and he says, listen, we're building a brand new building. It's beautiful, as you can tell, but we only have one Sefer Torah. Some communities are like that, you know? They have one Sefer Torah. Syrian community, if, you, if you're the, the poorest community in the Syrian, you have 17 Sefer Torah. You know, you have to decide which ones you're going to use for the seven for Kalidre, because you're going to be leaving some behind, okay? It's a very fair favorite mitzvah, I guess, in our community to donate Sefarim. I know many people who have donated you know, four or five sefarim in their life. That's not a normal thing, you know, outside of our community. Okay. Rabotai, the guy walks in, and there's this beautiful building they're putting up, spending who knows how many millions. The rabbi says, I need you to check our sefer. I think we might have some mistakes. The sofer opens up the sefer, and just with a perfunctory, you know, glance, just moving through the sefer quickly, you know, he's able to see m- mistakes. You know, it's old, letters are cracked. The Sefer, he says, this Sefer is pasul, l'chatechila and b'dievet. You can't use the Sefer. The rabbi says, oh, how much is that going to cost? He says, it costs a lot of money to, have a, to go through a whole Sefer Torah and to do all the fixings, especially when it's one which is very old. If it's one mistake, it takes two seconds. You just fix that letter. But if it's very old and you find mistakes in the sefer, right? One mistake or ten five mistakes il- illustrate that there's probably going to be hundreds of mistakes or thousands of mistakes throughout the sefer. So to go through, it's a very, very time-consuming job. So the guy tells him, he says, I think it will take me probably about a month. He says, the cost to fix, to go through the sefer and to fix it is $5,000. The rabbi says, listen, I'm sorry, all we have is $500. The sofer looks, you have millions of dollars for the brick. You, have, you know, for the, for the railing to, to fix the, to, you know, the cushions on the chairs, but you only have $500 for the sefer. He says, I'm sorry, because I can't work for a month for $500. Who, who, who does that? Anyway, he goes home. The sofer that night can't sleep all night. Rabotai, just a sidebar. Not all sofrim were created the same or created equal. Just because someone knows how to write letters doesn't mean that he's a proper sofer with Yirat Shamayim. You don't buy mezuzot in a Judaica store. You don't. You have to know where they came from. You don't have a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy who has a hookup for cheap mezuzot. It's not, you know, it's not uh, uh, some random, you know, piece of knockoff jewelry that you buy. You have to know where it comes from. You have to know the person that he's Yirat Shamayim. He's not cheating. He's not doing, he's not outsourcing it to people who don't know the halachot. He's not, etc., etc., etc. They know the kavanot. They know, etc. Rabotai, listen to this. 
All night the sofer can't sleep. That's a sofer I want to write my tefillin mezuzot. <coughs> he can't sleep. Why? He says whether or not the rabbi, the community are cheapskates. Bottom line, they have one sefer, which means if I don't fix it, this whole kehila, they're not your kiryata Torah ever. So $500 batih, $500 batih, I, I can't let them not have a se- kosher sefer. He calls up a friend of his who he knows also would not be able to sleep with that kind of knowledge. And he says, listen, there's a synagogue over here in New York. They have one sefer. They're only gonna, willing to give $500 to, 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 to fix the sefer. There's going to be tons of mistakes. It's going to take us a month. He says, let's split it. It's volunteer work pretty much, but they don't have another sefer. I'll take on half, you take on half. You will each take the 250, whatever, but obviously it's, uh, it's token amount. Are you willing to do it with me for the sake of the mitzvah? The other sofer says, yes. They go through the sefer, it takes them about a month. They deliver the sefer to the synagogue. Um, the two of them together, they bring it to the rabbi. You know, they try not to make a big deal out of it. They don't want to lose the sachar, right? Uh, that they gained in, in berating the... Anyway, they give it to the rabbi. The rabbi says, Azagu Baruch. They stick in the thing. They leave the synagogue. They feel great. They feel fantastic. Why? They did a mitzvah. Nobody knows that they did it. You know, it's a, the whole thing is quiet. They didn't get paid. On their way home, Rabotai, they're walking... And uh, the guy starts to need the bathroom. Now, there's an interesting thing. I noticed that when women go to the bathroom, they go in packs. Why? Nobody knows. With men, when one guy says he needs to go to the bathroom, the other guy goes, he needs to go to the bathroom too. The fact that someone mentioned it, you also have to go, right? Women go to the bathroom, you go to bed, I'll come with you. You know, yeah, I need, they need to, whatever the reason is, they were make, fixing their makeup, my body. Okay? Rabotai. The guys have to go to the bathroom. The other guy also has to go to the bathroom. So as they're walking, they're looking for a place. They see a building off the side of the road. They see it says it's a non-Jewish cemetery. They walk into the cemetery. The guard says, what's your name? They check the name. Check, he, t- he takes their driver's license. I guess uh, security. I don't know who they think he's going to kill in the cemetery. But he goes to the bathroom in the, in the uh, administrative building right there by the road. And then they go home. A month later, they get a phone call, each of them, asking, requesting that they turn up to court. They come to court. Each one didn't even know the other one was called. They're looking at each other. You called, you called. They, they sit there. The man says, uh, the, they open up the court case. They say, were you here and here on this and this day? Uh, we seem, we have your, uh, the guy says, yeah, I was there. They don't know if they should be getting a lawyer. You know, should they plead guilty? They said, yes, we were there. We were actually walking together. We had to go to the, had to go to the bathroom. We walked in. The lawyer says, I'm reading you the last will and testament of a fellow who died on that day. And he promised to divide his wealth, his fortune, amongst all the people who turned up to the cemetery to be at his funeral that day. They gave each one of the sofrim $62,000. Their portion in the guy's majnun. So, Arabotai, I looked at this pasuk, boil paro, boil paro. There are times when a person is doing the mitzvot, And they keep doing the same mitzvot. And they're waiting to see some sort of result in their life. You know, they're the good guy. They're the good guy. They went to shul. They went to the classes. They did the things. And they're looking at their friends who do nothing. And and they don't understand. And yet again comes a tzivui from God the next morning. Go to shul. Again comes a tzivui from God the next morning. To be honest, to do the right thing. Rabotai, 
Sometimes a person experiences that those commandments are there for God to be able to set you up. But not the first time, not the second time, at some stage. That's hit alalti. Let me explain. Rabutai, we know that Yosef HaSadiq went down to Egypt and there was a famine in Egypt. Now, most of us look at this famine in Egypt, the seven years of hunger and the seven years of plenty, and what do we see? We see a plot device. What's a plot device? A mechanism used by a writer in a story to get the story to work. So Yosef needs to have the brothers come to him. He needs to have them bow to him. So we need a scenario in which Yosef could be the king or the ruler and the brothers need to need something from him. So this is a great way of doing it. And it's a little bit of a funny thing if you think about it. Because <laughs> why did there need to be a famine in Egypt, Rabotai? If the point of the famine was only that the Jews, that the brothers should come down, there should be a famine in Israel. Right? Yeah, no, does it ever bother anybody? Why does Egypt need a famine? Why does the whole region need to be starving? Rabotai. So we look at the story and we're like, oh, okay, uh, you know, sloppy movement by God. You know, he, had, he could have he used the sharpshooter gun, but he didn't. He used the atom bomb gun, you know, and he killed everybody. Rabotai, so beautiful. The Pasuk tells us, also the nation that hurts them, the one that subjugates them, after that they'll go out with a great inheritance. Rabotai, the Jewish people, when they left Egypt, they didn't only take with them, clean out Egypt at the end, where they borrow all the kelim, they didn't only clean out Egypt. They didn't only take with them Egypt's money. They took with them the entire civilized world's money. Because a famine in Egypt meant that all of the people in the area needed to come to buy food. So they had the money from Israel, they had the money from Egypt, they had the money from Iraq and Iran and Babylonia, because everyone was coming to that one place. So what did God do in order to be able to have the Jews take the rechush gadol at the end? He brought all of that there. Now all the Egyptians are thinking, what an amazing country we are. But the whole point of it was only to line it up so that when the Jews left there and they asked the Egyptians, they said, pay us, give us money for all the time that we were here. They, it says at the end, they took, when they took the money from Egypt, they left it like a sieve. They, left, they took everything with them. That's the Rechush Gadol, but Rabotai, a person that sticks with the commandments of God, boil paro, even when they're unsure, even when they have questions, ultimately gets to see the boil paro, which is a hit alalti b'mitzrayim. They get to see the game. They get to see the play. They get to see that Borei Olam was setting something up so that ultimately something, the right thing could happen in the right way. Rabotai, David HaMelech says, <clears throat> David HaMelech says a very interesting line. He says, Chatanu, we sinned. Avinu, right? We, the, line, the expression of Avinu is a higher form of a sin. A sin chet is a sin a person does by accident. Avinu, says the Pasuk, 
We sinned in a much greater way. We did not remember, lo we did not remember your miracles. The Sepharim tell us something unbelievable. What is David HaMelech saying in this Pasuk? He was saying that the sin of the Jewish people in Egypt who doubted God is unlike the sin of everyone after Egypt that doubted God. You see, our mitzvot in the Torah, are, there's so many of them that are done zeche litziat mitzrayim. Our tefillin, our tzitzit, the shema, all zeche litziat mitzrayim. Kiddush on Friday night, zeche litziat mitzrayim. So many mitzvot, zeche litziat mitzrayim. Why? Are we so afraid that we're going to forget leaving Egypt that you need so many memory devices to be able to remember leaving Egypt? Abutai, the point of remembering Egypt is not for its own sake. It's for the sake of what happens when you remember Egypt. So when you put tefillin on, what's tefillin about? It's about binding yourself to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Saying that I, I am a servant of God. I am a servant of God. I exist here to serve Hashem. But it's hard to serve Hashem. It's hard to do the right thing when other people aren't doing the right thing. So what do you do when you put on the tefillin? Zecher, it's Yad Mitzrayim. You remember that we were once in Egypt, serving a much crueler master. And God took us out and said to us, if you're willing to serve me, to be my emissaries, I'll protect you. You'll be on, you'll be on my bill. Yeah? When you remember the difficulty of the mitzvot, when you remember how expensive the mitzvot are, when you think to yourself that Jewish schooling and tuition is too high, when you think to yourself that if my kid, you know, I need to get him an extra tutor because he's not reading, because he's not learning correctly, tutors are expensive. The same person that has $150 an hour to tutor their kid in math doesn't have $150 to tutor their kid in Yahadut. That's not a lack of money, Rabotai. That's a matter of priorities. Let me remember what it was like in Egypt. Let me remember that the Egyptians were gathering all this wealth, not realizing that it was not kesef shamul ba'alav. It wasn't money that was being set aside for its master. It was money that was being set aside for somebody else. Imagine Rabotai, someone that has a claim on a business. He has papers that indicate that the business belongs to him. And the people in the business are working very hard. The other people, they think that they're amassing fortunes for themselves. Had that sitting there, his legs on a desk. You don't want to tell nobody he owns the place. Heck, like this, he's lying back. All their hard work. When they finish, he comes in, he says, Hazaku Baruch. Oh my. Rabotai, our Gemara tells us that that is the nature of the world that we live in. That the world is developing and developing and developing, but ultimately it develops for one purpose. It develops taken olam b'malchut shakai in a kingdom of God where everybody, by the way, of any faith potentially that believes in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that follows either our mitzvot as a Jew or the seven mitzvot B'nai Noach as a non-Jew, they achieve, they acquire a place in Shamaim. They become connected to God. They become connected to His, uh, to his will, the time of Mashiach, etc., etc., Rabotai. This is an amazing thing that all this work that's happening, eventually it's going to come back 
litakin olayim, we have a shtar that's going to say, this is, all this was done for the world of God. And I think that there's something here, Rabotai, that sometimes people uh, um, uh, forget. And that's, and I'll end with this. You know, <clears throat> there was a, uh, a, a person from uh, Iran who emigrated to Israel. It was very, very difficult to, to leave. It was fraught with all sorts of issues and problems. They thought he was a spy. And they wanted to do, you know, they told him if you do this, there'll be ramifications for your family. But he figured out that if he wants to live a Jewish life, if he wants his kids to stay connected, he needs to move to the land of Israel. Rabotai, he made Herculean efforts to go to Israel. Got his whole family. I heard many stories from immigrants from Iran that tried to go to Israel back in the day. And it was almost like some sort of epic journey. You know, uh, I heard from one girl once about how her grandfather at a young age was able to visit Israel, but only for a very short time. And before he left, he went to the Kotel. This is in, uh, you know, before even Israel was a state. And he took out a hammer and a nail and he, he knocked a nail into the Kotel, into one of the cracks. And he said, I swear on this nail that I will come back to Eretz Israel to remove this nail with my own fingers after I'm already a resident in the land of Israel. I heard this magnificent, you know, this dedication. He was weeping. You know, it was some sort of biblical. It's like something you read about the Nevi'im, like, you know, some action that they did, you know, uh, you know, I swear by the name of God, master of hosts, right? You know, that's what it sounded like, but that's the way that they lived. That's the way they saw Israel. So this guy gives up everything to come to Eretz Israel. Finally, he moves in. He gets the papers. He saves his family. He gets to Eretz Israel. The guy speaks only Farsi. Now, if you speak, by the way, if you speak Arabic, Arabic and Hebrew have a lot of crossover. It's much easier. And, and a lot of people in Israel speak Arabic. But when you speak Farsi, it's a whole other language. It's very, very difficult. You know, he get, gets to Israel with this dream and he's finally here and he's ready to, you know, fully embrace this Jewish life. And he doesn't speak a word of Hebrew. He has no job. And within three, four weeks, he's run out of whatever reserve money he has. And he's terrified. And he says to Hashem, like, I moved here for all the right reasons and now I have no skills, I have no job, I have no network. He gets a phone call from the, uh, uh, from the Misrada Penim. Misrad Avoda, from the, the, uh, the office which represents, you know, the work and, and, uh, and, uh, and uh, job opportunities. They call him in and they said to him, listen, we'd like to offer you a very lucrative job, okay? Um, it pays this and this much. This is what we need from you, etc., etc." Um, it was a fortune of money at, the, at that time. He was being very well paid. He says, why did you choose me for this job? They said to him, the job is in the core, in Dimona. In Dimona, they have a nuclear core where they're producing. He says, all of the materials, everything that goes on there is very, very secretive. We needed someone who's a smart person, but who doesn't speak the language and has no connections. We don't want him to know what's going on overhearing any sensitive information. We don't want him passing it to anyone else. 
Right? You're the perfect guy. Here the guy's crying, he's crying, he's crying because he has no actionable skills. He doesn't speak the language. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu was telling him, Boil Paro. Lech Lecha. Go to the land of El Aretz Asher Go to the place I want you. Don't worry about everything else. I'll bless you. I'll take care of you. I'll protect you. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. That's the concept of Bo El Paro in Vaira and Bo El Paro in Bo. The same commandment. But if a person sticks with those commandments, ultimately they get to see the hand of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Ultimately they get to see Et Asherit Alalti Mitzrayim. It hurt the Jews, I'm sure, as they're sitting there under, you know, enslaved. They're watching every Egyptian guy with gold belts and Mabarev snake hats made out of diamonds. And they're looking and these guys are so wealthy and they don't need us and they could pay us. And it bothered them in all, the, this, all that time. Everything that they had built, everything that they had done, all the wealth of Egypt. Who was it being saved for? Who was it being stockpiled for from around the entire world? It was for them. Sometimes we just have to wait. Sometimes we just need to be consistent and stick with the Bo'el Paro, come with me. Uh, wherever you go with God, you, have to, you don't have to have any fear. Uh, wherever you go with God, you get to see in the end that in the end there are no questions. Uh, may we be zochet to each experience, the hand of HaKadosh Baruch Hu in our lives. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen.